Welcome to an all new episode of the Lisa Ann Experience. I am your host, Lisa Ann, going to be in your ear for this period of time to catch you up a little bit. I have an amazing conversation with a guest that is going to rock your world. This guest has rocked your world before. I'm going to tell you this right now and many surprises in the development of television shows. You'll hear that in a moment. But before we do that, I want to remind you all, if this is your first time, thank you so much for spending time with me and choosing my podcast. This year, 2022, I've brought in a list of positive guests, starting with the first guest, my friend, Tall Paul, founder of Never Alone, a mental health advocate, amazing interview conversation, and also an amazing follow for all of you. My second guest, I was joined by psychotherapist and certified life coach, Crystal Stokes, and I loved the thought-provoking conversation we had, reminder of living with intention, and all of the goodness that I'm bringing to you in 2022 has been thought out in a mindful way to remind us all that the new year is more than just about, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to eat better. It's about feeling better mentally and really exploring our thoughts and how we can improve them, how we can live a more positive and productive life, and everything in between. Today's guest is going to take you for a little curveball, but I want to also remind you if you're new here, you can subscribe so you never miss another episode. I do a live premiere of this show every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern on my YouTube channel, and I have been deep into filling orders for my book. And I will say this, the menial tasks of packing orders and, and walking to the post office are like the most fun things I've ever done. I love signing them. I love hearing your responses. And I plan to put together a YouTube live at the release Anne where my readers can ask questions. So we'll go like chapter by chapter. I'll read some of the passages that were really important to me, uh, things that were either life-changing or funny or how I got to this conclusion. Um, you can get your book from my store, The Life, Lisa Ann, where my first book was and now my second book. And I will send it out to you. I try to get them all out same day. I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's been a great positive motivation, wonderful way to start the year. It is my second book. I love to read, which makes me love to write even more. But before I like hold you any longer with my banter, I'm too excited because I just re-listened to this interview so that I could pull the clips that I could share with you on my social media at The Real Lisa Ann, which is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all verified accounts. Please don't talk to strangers saying that they're me because they're not. This guest is someone that I met through a mutual friend, but we all met ourselves 18 years ago on television. The show, you remember this show very well, the show to catch a predator. And now to catch a predator series in a different format is coming back. And there's also a podcast, Predators I've Caught. That's right. You guessed it. My guest this week on the Lisa Ann Experience is the one and only Chris Hansen. I am incredibly excited about this conversation that I'm about to share with you. The story behind the story right here, you know him from To Catch a Predator. You can now follow more with a new podcast, Predators I Caught. That's right. You guessed it. I am sitting here with the one and only Chris Hansen. Chris, hey how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Excellent. Uh, it is just so awesome to get to sit and talk with you, well, especially thinking that when you started to catch a predator with NBC, 
Um, you know, there really was a different time, right? We weren't using as many apps. We weren't on TikTok, Snapchat, all of these different ways that predators can now just find their way in, whether they're impersonating somebody else, uh, all of those things. So compared to back then, was it harder for you to lock it down than it would be now by just tracing people online? Well, think about this, you know, next month will be 18 years since our very first predator investigation in uh, Bethpage, Long Island, 18 years, which is shocking to me. And at the time, we merely had decoys from Perverted Justice, the online watchdog group, and in chat rooms on AOL and Yahoo, right? That was it. And so today, and one of the reasons why we thought it was so important to do the podcast and why we continue to do the predator investigations for television, I just finished one last month, is because there has been an absolute explosion of social media platforms upon which potential predators can approach children. I mean, you're looking at the the ones we know about, TikTok and the dating apps and Kick and Skip the Games, and, and kids can get on these dating apps no matter what the age restrictions are. And so you've got more predators online knowing that more children are online. And when you combine that with the pandemic, it's a toxic, dangerous mixture. When you look at how easy it is for younger people who are way more computer savvy than we were growing up, have the apps failed by making it too easy for any age to be present without giving their true age? Well, I think there's there's a workaround everywhere. We were recording the podcast for this week, the one that's out now, and one of the decoys avoided detection by posing as a 12-year-old girl by putting 102 in the in the, uh, the sign-in. And the predator said, well, it said right here, 102. I said, so you're telling me you were here for a 102-year-old woman? I mean, come on. It was, it, it was silly. But there are ways to get around this. And so what it really comes down to, Lisa, is parents have to be the first line of defense. So you have to just assume that children have access to anything. You can put restrictions on computers, and especially with younger kids when they first go online. Um, and there are programs, software programs, where you can be alerted if a kid is giving away too much personal information. But, but really, for a lot of different reasons, it starts with a discussion with your child at home before they go online. And very simply, at a young age, it's, look, there are grownups out there, adults who want to trick kids. And kids don't like to be tricked. And so it starts there. And as the kid gets older and you know, you're going to have a situation at some point and you're going to have to address it. But there's no demand reduction, right? This is not the drug problem where we can say, okay, how do we demand, how do we reduce demand? Well, we treat this as an addiction, as a sickness. We get people better. And that way we reduce the demand and we put the bad guys out of business. Demand reduction here doesn't work because it's, it's too complicated. It's multifaceted. I mean, it could work, but imagine... You know, if you're a physician, for instance, and you have the choice of being a a plastic surgeon on Park Avenue versus spending your life in federal prisons talking to pedophiles and predators, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. So the the treatment isn't there. And we we end up again with incarceration, which for some predators, it it has to be that way. But the bottom line is you got to take control of, of your situation and your kids and protect them, right? That's the front line. 
And you also wrote a book about that, protecting your kids from online enemies already in your home, which is the greatest title because that's the thing with every app, you are opening the door. You know, when my friends sign their kids up, this is what I say to them, Chris. Okay. You're giving your kid a phone. You're letting your kid go on any single app. Okay. Would you let your kid go outside in New York city for a walk, not tell you where they're going, who they're going with, how long they're going to be long gone and when they're coming back. And they're always like, well, no, I would never do that. I go, but that's kind of the internet. Well, exactly. And, and consider this, right? When you and I were growing up, um, we were told, don't talk to strangers. Good advice <laughs> then, good advice today. But the guy who's a stranger on a Tuesday, right, because he's so adept at grooming, is not a stranger by Friday when they're setting up a date. You know, so it, it's, it's still good advice, but, you know, the lines have been so blurred now. I mean, you would think after 18 years of doing this, right? And this is like 10% of my portfolio that people would automatically say, Oh no, no, no. This is going to be either the police, the FBI, Chris Hansen. Again, we had an engineer, a highly educated individual show up on December 20th at a home to meet a, a young teenage girl for sex. Had the transcripts, the whole thing. Professional guy, lot to lose. It, it, it's never ending. It's shocking to me still to this day. It's shocking. And you talk about it as an illness and there's really no detection of this illness. What do you think it is in the mind of somebody that makes them want to do something to someone like you and I would seem so incredibly absurd, right? But to someone else, this is their pattern. This is what they want. It's very different than a cheater, um, but very similar in a sense of pushing the envelope, but you're pushing the envelope with the law. You're pushing the envelope with changing the life of a young person if something does happen. What is it it, that's missing from somebody? It's a combination of things. And that's why, Lisa, it's so difficult. I don't pretend to have all the answers here and I'm not a therapist. Uh, You know, I just play one on TV. But the, in my experience, these guys break down into into three groups, right? And you talk about a sickness. I think some, in some cases, it is an illness. It's a mental illness. But you, you have these three categories. So you have the guy who's the heavy hitter, true pedophile predator with or without the internet. He'd be the bad little league coach, the Cub Scout leader, the the guy hanging out at the mall or the movie theater, the the bad guy who's looking to to meet and and, uh, violate a child. Then you have these younger guys in 19, 20, 22 years old, and, and they get online and they're socially inept and they say things they wouldn't say face to face online. They have this addiction to the internet and and this 24-7 access. And so they start to think, well, all right, she may be 13 or 14, but she's sexually active. I'm only eight years older. If it works out, you know, one day she'll be old enough and they justify it and then they go for it. These guys can have probation. They can have, in some cases, they can have registration as a sex offender, computer monitoring, and they probably won't offend again. Then you get these guys in the middle, right, who have a predilection for this but who wouldn't necessarily offend without the internet, right? So they have this fantasy embedded in their mind and they, they live it out online. And then at some point, for a combination of reasons, they blur this line between fantasy and reality. And, and the next thing you know, they're knocking on our door and they're standing in the kitchen talking to me. When you're in that kitchen and you're having that conversation, 
There has to be multiple responses you get from the predator that you catch. I'm oh, yeah. sure there's a response of just shattered uh, and shocked. I'm sure there's a response of trying to figure out how to get out of this because this person's probably going to do this again. Mm-hmm. What have you felt when you're in that moment with that person? Because that is their moment of truth, of oh, yeah. shame, of just being broken in front of a camera. Well, it, it's it's for me, it's, it's a number of things. So I'm looking at their hands. I'm assessing the you know safety concerns. And obviously, we've got a lot of security there. We collaborate with law enforcement. So, you know, for something as edgy as it is, it's about as safe as it can be. But then I'm thinking about, okay, how do I get into this guy's mind? Right. Anybody can jump out of a back room or from behind bushes and create 10 seconds of dramatic television. My right. job is to, you know, understand, to try to figure out what brought you here, you know. And and so it is dramatic. And I think because we actually take the viewer inside the commission of a felony, that's part of what makes this so captivating to people. And and we were really, you know, it, we approach a lot of different stories this way. But this one really captured people's attention because you saw this uh, drama, this gotcha moment, and then this, in some cases, uh, a therapy session where the guy comes clean and says, okay, this is what was going on and this is what I was doing. I was watching a tape of, of the next Predator I've Caught um, episode, the, the guy who we're featuring next week, and, and it just it's the same thing. And the, the guy just admitted the whole thing, and it's a horrible chat he talks about you know, forced rape and all kinds of things and, and just, just really nasty. And he's chuckling about it. Like it's just oh, it's some fantasy that he was going to play out with a 13 or 14 year old girl. It's, it's insane. But yeah, it, it's, it drains you. And every once in a while you do have a sense of empathy or sympathy for one of these guys if they're seemingly, you know, mentally Broken. deficient in some way. But, yeah. but at the end of the day, you know, or there was a guy who was a, a Gulf War veteran who I, think probably suffered from some PTSD. But at the end of the day, if I wasn't there and a 12 or 13 or 14 year old girl was there, what's going to happen? And that's a crime. I mean, it's got to leave you in a space of looking around and you would have thought, you know, 18 years ago, you mentioned this started 18 years ago. The awareness needs to be brought back out there. We were all in home watching this, but now we have a new breed on the internet that maybe this slipped by them a bit, right? And maybe they're not that aware, but I'm sure the moment of what's breaking down in front of them, like all the things they're going to lose, right? Their family relationships, their work situation. These aren't all people that have nothing going for them. I'm sure you've met people that have had a life that you would think, why aren't you satisfied? And why did you just blow this up? It's how do you console someone? Collateral damage. Yeah. yeah. I I mean, and I write about this in the book, which we're working on uh, updating and, and expanding and reissuing in the near future. But it's it's shocking. You know, here you got a guy who walks into a kitchen, a house, on a Saturday morning in Petaluma, California. Beautiful, quiet, suburban. And he's a 49-year-old doctor who works for a company, heads a company that is on the cutting edge of curing cancer. He's married to a woman who's a doctor. He's got two lovely daughters. And oh. here he is after sexually charged conversations with not one decoy online, but two different decoys online as tall, dreamy doc that he's there to, 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 to violate. 
uh, to, to rape. And, and so, you know, this guy does have a hard life afterwards. He's got the money to fight it, and he did fight it. And, and, and ultimately, sadly, he, he ended his life mm. um, many years later. But in, in th- that's terrible. That's a, that's a grave loss to his family. And now that collateral damage uh, is suffered by his former wife and his kids. And so these guys get in the moment and they get so drawn into this. Uh, And you're right. When I first did it, I honestly didn't think, or at least I thought there was a possibility that nobody would show up, that I may have wasted tens of thousands of dollars of the network's money. You know, and then we did it once and we did it again. I thought, well, nobody's going to show up this time. And then we did it a third time and a fourth time and on and on and on and on for 18 years. You know, and it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like I was unknown when I started to do this. Right, right. You know, I've already been on network television for uh, a number of years. And so, you know, 10 years. So it wasn't like I was a a stranger to, to, you know, people who watch news, who watch Dateline at the time. So, but even today. I guarantee you in, in any city in America, and we're in the process of doing it, we could set up and we would get five to 10 guys in a day or two. It's unbelievable. And uh, you are the face and, and we've watched this, but the behind the scenes really is these decoys. They have to work incredibly hard and also be very good at skimming through to sense that red flag, be able to engage and have conversation without it emotionally disturbing them. There has to be some PTSD for, let's say, a woman who is a decoy that has young children that is now concerned. This isn't just young women anymore. This is young men too. So just young children in general. And she's having these conversations for doing the good work. But boy, the decoys must have to work incredibly hard. It's like a you know, a law enforcement person who has to view child pornography to make a prosecution. I mean, they have to go through therapy. They have to cycle in and out. And again, you know, there are two different kinds of decoys. Sometimes we use law enforcement who are obviously better trained and perhaps more emotionally able to handle it. In the beginning, we employed uh, decoys with perverted justice, the online watchdog group, which is how we got into this in the first place because we learned about them and, and they're great. And, and that organization no longer exists, and those people oh. have gone on to do a lot of different things. But <clears throat> yeah, it's it's difficult. Then we have, in some cases, you know, the on-site decoy who answers the door and brings the people in. And typically, that's you know, an eighteen, nineteen-year-old boy or girl who's you know a theater student or <clears throat> studying law enforcement, and they they look younger, but they're actually sure. aging. It's all very protected, but it's it's creepy. I mean, I remember the first time <clears throat> showing video. And it was either the first or second investigation. And we had a group of 13, 14-year-old middle school students, right? We had them all sitting on risers. And I showed him the video. I said, what do you think of that? I said, boy, how do, you know, those actors really are scary. I said, those aren't actors. Oh. That's real-life situation. And then you go down the line, how many of you have been approached by somebody who made you uncomfortable online? And they all raise their hands. I mean, 90% of them raise their hands. Wow. How many of you told your parents about it? Three. Wow. That's a great conversation to to have. That was very, very telling. Um, 
when, when we did that. And that was early on. And it, because kids, you know, they don't want to talk about it. Sure. They also don't want to risk having their phone taken away. They exactly. also don't want to risk not being able to be on talking to their friends on all these different apps. And so to them, there's a like, if I tell, what if I'm not allowed to do this? And I remember when my family first got computers at home, big Italian family, they would only let the kids be on a computer in the living room and somebody had to be present because everyone was so afraid of what was going to come in on these computers because they oh, yeah. knew the second a computer was taken into a bedroom, my niece met somebody, took a bus at 16 years old. Now, mind you, he was her age, so right. wasn't a predator. But still, she was 16. She took a bus to Florida from Pennsylvania. Mm. Her family thought she was abducted. You know, the fear, and then she doesn't want to come. It was just, and that was when they let her have the computer in her room. So I was talking to a very good friend of mine last night. We have to give a shout out to Tina, and she has a question for you. Sure, absolutely. Why is it that you never caught a female predator? Well, it's, it's a great question, and um, one I've given great consideration to over the years. Uh, and, and there are female predators, obviously, and, and I read about it a little bit in the book. But the, the therapists, the psychiatrists we've interviewed suggest that female predators tend to fit more into the mold of the teacher-student. Female predators don't like the anonymity, generally speaking of the internet interaction. Male predators get off on it. Okay. Right? They like that. And so when it comes to a female predator, you're more likely to see that, which is what we've seen across the country in, in dozens of cases over the years. Now, it does happen. Uh, we've never seen it in, in 18 years of doing it, but it, it, uh, it does happen. That's interesting because we are seeing an uptick in teachers with students. I mm -hmm. mean, you, you can't pass the news for a week without reading one or two. And we're starting to see women more in the grooming category of this, actually working for men um, in, in a situation. We saw this producer from CNN. He oh, yeah. actually had a woman that was you know, for money, taking a teenage daughter that she, a girl that she had adopted. And luckily the, the mother got involved and was able to see into a phone and do things. But this is becoming more of a conversation. How do you think this well, will it, play it out? It broadens out into, into human trafficking, the larger issue of human trafficking. And, and it's not just, you know, your, your teens at home. Think about maybe your college student who is approached online, you know, on, on a TikTok or something by somebody who wants to give them money, right? Mm -hmm. To send pictures. Okay. Maybe it's harmless. Maybe it's not, but then it gets so far down the road and we've seen this with kids getting catfished or tricked into sending, you know, suggestive photos. And suddenly those are being sold as child porn you know, on the internet. And it's very difficult once those things get onto Twitter to take them down. Yeah. And there's a whole battle about, you know, First Amendment and what should be shared and what can't be shared. And, you know, but child porn is child porn. We can all agree on that. And that's wrong. And it's a victimization of a child. And every time it's viewed, it's a re-victimization of a child. And it's, it's bad. But, you know, it's not just kids at home sneaking into the bedroom with a computer. This, this is, you know, this is, a, this is a human trafficking issue at the end of the day. 
We also see revenge porn being an issue oh, yeah. among young people, a conversation that I have a girlfriend who's a teacher, high school teacher, and she talks to young women all the time about, hey, you don't know if you're going to be with that boyfriend forever. Yeah. So don't send him photos because you don't know who he's showing him to. Or if somebody steals his phone and takes your photos, now revenge porn is definitely getting talked about in states where there's deeper and, and stronger penalties for it, but it's a real issue. Well, yeah, and it's, it's again, it's the exploitation of somebody who's innocent. So we've seen this even doing other stories like on uh, online identity scams, you know, where people are drawing targets into a sweetheart swindle to accept things bought with stolen credit cards, right? And they think they're talking to somebody, and, and it's a stolen picture from a Danish, you know, yeah. cheesecake you know, ad or something. And, and this poor woman has no idea that her picture is being used to scam some guy in upstate New York to accept stolen property that's being reshipped to West Africa and being sold you know, all over the world. It's crazy. Yeah, we're not tracking down anything in West Africa or in countries where we do very little trade. We, we have very, no reasons. I had a situation where I went to the FBI, uh, I want to say five or six years ago. I had a guy spend $250,000 on the internet. Okay. Larry from Denver. Larry spent $250,000 on the internet to purchase me. Um, and when it finally came down to me doing an appearance and him showing up and saying, I'm here to take her home. I purchased her on the internet. I decided to have the face to face conversation with him because I realized like, Hey, I want to explain to him that that was not me. I also want to see what he can send me and provide me so I can really learn about this. And Larry is probably somebody that just shouldn't be on the internet, not guided. Because by the time he sent me all the documentation of where he was sending money, it was all different addresses, oh, yeah. Chris. It was it was Los Angeles. It was Nigeria. It was and to all these different names. And, and all they wired. Had, uh, all wired Union, or, gift, or gift cards, yeah. Yeah, prepaid gift, gift cards. cards. That's um, and, and they had a fake birth certificate of mine with fake parent names. It was Jeez. a wedding certificate. I mean, <laughs> this was really elaborate. They know... When someone is not savvy and they don't stop, and then when the money's gone, eventually they will find the celebrity, whoever that person is that they thought they were speaking to. Well, they get so desperate. And, and they, it just they broke my heart for into him. this fantasy. Yeah. And then what happens is they don't want to believe that they've been taken. Yeah. So it's this reverse psychology starts to set in, and, and they want to fulfill this fantasy at any cost. And then it's dangerous to somebody who's a public figure like yourself. And it happens all the time. I sure. do a takedown Tuesday, every Tuesday on social media to remind people that there are imposters out there, that we have verified accounts, to not talk to a non-verified account, all of these things. But the pandemic just put so many people on the internet with so much free time uh, to just, and you said the sweetheart scams, just unbelievable how many people, I read a great story of an Uber driver that saved a woman in Vegas, an older lady was going to the bank and she told him she needed to take out $30,000 for the IRS. And he said, no, you don't. I'm going to walk you into your bank and I'm going to have this conversation with your bank that the IRS would never call you and ask you to wire this money. But luckily he made conversation with her. She was in her eighties and like oh. hero, you know, heroes don't all wear capes. Like to me, I thought that was so awesome because that oh, could have been her incredible. entire I mean, It happened to my own mom several oh. years ago. Uh, uh, something popped up on her computer screen and uh, so I called this number. She calls the number and <clears throat> says, my computer screen is frozen. I goes, oh, I can help you. It's from a overseas uh, 
exchange, obviously. And she says to him, um, well, I hope this isn't a scam. Oh, no, it's not a scam. It's because my son's an investigative reporter. Oh, no, no, no. And she didn't call me. I mean, we got the, it wasn't a significant amount of money. We got it back. But, you know, they, 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 they're adept at appealing to somebody. And, you know, there's my mom who's was at the time head of sales for a large luxury home builder. She's not, you know, uh, uneducated or, 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 you know, inexperienced in the world, but they got right in and they appealed to her. It's, it's like, you know, they call and say, um, Hey grandma or Hey grandpa. Yeah. Who's this? And then they say the name and they say the name, Oh, you know, I got jammed up and I need $2,000 and you know, I don't want to tell my dad, you know, how he can be, you know, and, and they wire the money. I, I, I know at least six friends whose parents, very smart people, retired professionals who have sent money and gotten mad at the son or daughter who said, you can't do this. It's not really your grandson or granddaughter, but it's, it's, it's crazy. You got to be really careful out there. So we have two different generations of incredible fraud and crime. Right. We have the elderly being um, found on the internet and it's not hard. You can go to their Facebook and learn all their grandchildren's names and you can learn everything about them Absolutely. and then you can make an easy conversation that they can buy into. It doesn't mean that they're not smart, but it pulls on their heartstrings. And that's that Some generation. Some of these are cold calls, Lisa. They're just yes. dialing numbers and they, whoever they get. Yep. There's, wherever they get a, a live boiler, person. Boiler room in Nigeria. We did, it took us <clears throat> literally a year. And I had like three producers. I had conned NBC News into letting us do this, knowing that there was no guarantee we'd be able to pull it off, knowing it was going to be very, very labor intense. Typically when you do a story, you have a producer and an associate producer. I had three producers cycling in and out of wow. the same, three or four for a year. They let me do it. And we actually <clears throat> smoked out Nigerian and West African scammers. And we brought them, uh, we, we lured them into meetings where we had hidden cameras in London. We were in uh, uh, the Netherlands. We were you know, all over the place. And we actually got them face to face. And it was a seminal story because nobody had actually, everybody knows how this works. Everybody knows. Everybody knows about Hush Puppy. That's how it works. You know, it's a typical scam. But I had these guys in London come into a bar that we had wired with uh, a pub with hidden cameras and microphones. And that's where the meeting. And so the ruse was, I was an investor. I was part owner of this, this uh, pub in the theater district. And so we'd invite them in and we're drinking beer and carry on and do like, you know, sandwich and some chips and, and so we have these conversations. And so when I finally lowered the boom on them, they were, you know, right there with HD cameras and the whole thing and sweating profusely. But we actually, it was so satisfying for the viewer and for me as a journalist to, to really get to these guys. And we, you know, I took them around town. We met at Trafalgar Square. We were at uh, the Rolls Royce dealership looking at cars, sitting in the cars. This is what I'm going to buy when I, you know, get the money from you. And it, you know, it was crazy, but it was you know, it's a whole network. I'm sure my picture is up in a poster in Lagos and all the internet cafes over there. And don't, don't talk to this fellow. But you do that. Jimmy, the money, Jimmy, the money. You do that to bring their guard down, right? So that they're not showing up packing heat. They're not showing up armed. They're not afraid of you. Exactly. Something can't really go down in the sense of that. So they've built a relationship with you. Their, their guard is down. The trust is there. These operations in Nigeria, Hush Puppy was arrested in sure. Dubai. Uh, I, he was a fascinating story who I followed for years. 
that these are actual phone rooms with hundreds of women oh, yeah. working yeah. on dating apps. Yeah. Just And there's the Turning. whole pitch. They have six months to get the guy in person. They'll bring them to Dubai. There'll be a gang there that's ready to rob them and hold them hostage in the hotel till they get all their pin numbers. And this is like normal. And it's so normal that I prevented a friend from falling for it this year. And it was the day he was leaving to go meet this woman in Dubai. And I had 24 hours to prove she wasn't real to get all of this documentation. I have a friend in Dubai who sent us articles of Americans going there and getting hot water poured on them mm. as they're torturing them to get their, and, and that the girl never shows up. She's never the flight you bought for her is a random name for somebody that has a visa, but this is not the girl you've been talking to. And it was surprising to me that somebody that I thought was incredibly educated fell for it. Uh, and it, and it's more common than I thought because I started Googling it and reading all of these stories and dating apps are a trap for adults. Um, just like apps are a trap for teenagers. Oh, yeah. so and they're used in, in a myriad of different scams. And especially, I mean, you know, during the pandemic, I mean, so many, you know, the level of loneliness and isolation yes. and, and yes. you know, we all, you know, have friends and relationships and, you know, we talk to people, you know, but, but a large part of society really was emotionally impacted by all this and for, for a lot of different reasons. There's fear of going outside. There's fear of an unknown virus, especially in the beginning. And this, this loneliness, it's the only outreach that some people had during this. And it just creates a whole generation, essentially, of vulnerable folks for these predators to go after. And I notice on my pages, like let's say I do a live on Facebook, when I'm finished with that live, every guy that has responded with something that's like, I love you or I want to be with you, they right away get targeted by a scammer who's using another account as oh, another sure. girl. And so I have to go and clean up this whole feed afterwards because I'm trying to protect my people and I know what they're doing. They see them as a mark. You yeah. are a mark by the way you respond to other people on social media. And I know what, what to say to you to get it's, you it's over to my page. vulnerability. Yep. So you've got your podcast, which I'm definitely going to start looking for. Excellent. Predators I Caught, which has to be incredible. It's on all the My platforms. last question for you sure. is 18 years ago when you started this journey with To Catch a Predator, Chris Hansen, did you at any point think you would run out of these people? Oh, yeah. I mean, I honestly, Lisa, thought we'd do three, maybe four investigations, and then we'd get to the point where nobody would show up. I'd be taking a nap on the kitchen counter like the Maytag repairman in those old commercials. Uh, and that would have been okay with me, really. I mean, that that would be just fine because it would mean that we have scared everybody uh, out of doing this. But no, 18 years later, I, I remember it was, it was uh, uh, February of 2004. And we had set up with perverted justice in this house. We rented it from a retired... NYPD lieutenant. And, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. And literally, I was in the car driving. I lived in Connecticut at the time. I was driving across the Throgs Neck Bridge to get to Long Island. And traffic was a mess. And I was stuck in traffic. I was like, oh, God, what, you know, what if nobody shows up? Or what is this? I got all this going on. And the cell phone goes off, and it's my producer at the time. And she says, where the hell are you? We've got two guys scheduled to be here in 45 minutes. And traffic clears, I get there, and it was just, 
nonstop. In fact, it was so crazy in that first uh, investigation, we had all the transcripts lined up on the dining room table in the next room. And, and we had security. Ronnie Knight was there, my, my guy. And, and But we didn't collaborate with police in the first couple of investigations. So these guys, I'd interrogate them, and they just, they'd be gone into the room. Aww. And so I get the transcripts mixed up. And so the third guy walks in. I said, well, it says here that you wanted to do this, that, and the other thing with a 12-year-old girl named Beth. No, it's not me. Excuse me. Come back. 14-year-old girl named Susan. No, it's not me. Third time I had the right name. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Okay, great. We can continue. I mean, it was. that's how it was in that first investigation. I mean, we just sort of, I mean, obviously the decoys with perverted justice knew what they were doing. Yes. They had done this before. And when they began, they merely... You know, when they caught somebody, they'd post them on their webpage. And sometimes the police would get involved and make a prosecution. But it wasn't until we did it the next time in, in uh, Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C., that we were contacted by the Riverside County Sheriff's Department, and which wanted to collaborate. And it was really a better way to do things. I mean, we took some yeah. criticism for working too closely with police, but I'm fine with that. But, you know, at the end of the day, from a social responsibility standpoint and from just a television production standpoint, it was unfulfilling to see these guys just walk off twirling their umbrella. And it was also a bit of an injustice that they weren't, you know, cleanly prosecuted. Some of those cases were prosecuted even before the law enforcement collaboration, but they, they it's, it's better the way we do it now. Well, yeah, I mean, the worst thing you would you want is someone walking away and feeling invincible, right? That's the worst oh, yeah. uh, thing that you want because if it doesn't go anywhere then they're going to continue. Well, and to that's, do that. that's one of the problems with these vigilante groups who do it for social media. You know, I think some of them are well-intentioned. Some of them just want clicks. But if you talk to law enforcement, you know, the, the people who do this day in and day out uh, and are trained to do it, those vigilante cases are often tough to prosecute for a lot mm. of different reasons. They and go so about something the I wrong mean, I get, way, I get, then there's yeah, a loophole. Exactly. Yep. And I get asked all the time to collaborate with one or them. And I just don't do it because it's not, you know, it's not the way we work it. Well, what you've been doing, Chris Hansen has been working. Oh, I'm looking you, forward to a new show, which yeah. you say you started working on, which you can't talk much about. Uh, yes. Yeah, so in fact, I've got a meeting in uh, about an hour and I think 2022 is going to be a very exciting year. We've got a couple different big projects going on. We still have the, um, you know, the things we did for discovery plus, uh, unseemly, the Peter Nygaard investigation you can check out on Discovery Plus, and Onision in Real Life is out on Discovery Plus, and we've got uh, many more in the works, so it's very exciting. Well, let's hope that this time around, this work that you do is not just noticed by the predators themselves, but by parents and by younger people who are jumping onto social media for their first time, that they're not afraid to go to their parents and say, I had an uncomfortable conversation today. I blocked this person um, because that's the dialogue that really needs to start Absolutely. at home. And they're in, and whether it's a buddy system with your friends, even if it's your friend's mom that you're more comfortable talking to, we want young people to share their experiences so we can make sure that they're safe. Takes a village. It sure does. Well, Big Chris Hansen, thank you so Lisa, much thank for you. joining me It was a pleasure today. to be here. Thanks I look for forward me. to catching up with you again soon. Have a great new year. Okay, you too. Thank you. That was a great conversation. And if you want to talk with Chris Hansen more, he hosts live events on Cameo regularly, which are incredible because you get to ask questions. They're very interactive. I've done one and I loved it. I plan to do more. But for him, he's got so much to discuss, you know, about his book that we talked about, 
his podcast that you can start to listen to, Predators I've Caught, his new project that's coming about. So you can check him out on Cameo, YouTube, Twitter, all his social media is the same at Chris Hansen. I will make sure that when I add this little video component to this podcast onto my YouTube, I give you easy clickable links right below the updates. You can follow everything that is Chris Hansen. On a lighter note, I remember an episode of, of one of my favorite shows, 30 Rock. And it was in the first season. It was labeled The Breakup. And uh, Tina Fey, Liz Lemon, was deciding if she should still be dating Dennis, who was really, ugh, he used to call her dummy. If you watch the show, you'll get it. But she's sitting home watching To Catch a Predator, and Dennis was on To Catch a Predator. And I just thought that was such a great tie-in because we'd never seen it uh, come across a television screen. And Dennis reappears on 30 Rock for many seasons, calling Liz Lemon dummy. Uh, he is just hilarious, but Chris Hansen, also on 30 Rock, my one of my favorite shows of all time, catching Dennis in a situation he shouldn't have been in. It's time now for the mailbag portion of the exercise. If you want to be a part of the mailbag, you have a question for me, something you'd like me to talk about or somebody you'd like me to interview, you can send them to asklisaann at gmail.com. All right, here we go. With this week's episode, I'm going to do this mailbag myself. There's no sense making Chris Hansen do any more heavy lifting than he's already done for us. So I'm going to go with a question that I like to start ridiculous questions first, okay? Always with the ridiculous questions first. And also, um, this one is not in the subject matter, but I know I can find one that is. But let's see what Labu has to say. Good evening, Lisa. Lisa, please, I must apologize for the inconvenience my actions is going to cause you. That is not a good start to an email. Not a strong start. What are you doing to me? Okay. But I don't have any alternative to express my deepest and long accumulated love and feelings towards you. I've been looking towards this opportunity for so long. I must say thank you for this privilege to express my feelings for you. I mean, it's an Ask Lisa Ann email for a fucking mailbag, you know, but whatevs. Number one, there's questions. They're numbered. Number one, what will it cost for me to have you as my wife? Number two, it is a crime. Is it a crime to be in love with a celebrity like you? For a very long time now, I've fallen in love with you. Before you even resign from your previous career, I want to make my world with you and end it with you. Thanks for reading my message. I look forward to hearing from you, dear. I love you, Lisa. Obviously, anyone who's been a listener of the Lisa Ann Experience knows that I will not be responding to Labu. These emails are to answer questions on the podcast. These guys want one-on-one that I'm not responding to a guy that thinks he can purchase me as his wife, and we will leave it right there. This guy has definitely watched a little bit too much adult content, not had an outside life, and built friends that actually he knows in person and feels that he wants to marry a stranger. Let's go. Sandy, hope you're doing fit and fine. Actually, I'm much interested to know about your fitness secret. I've been mailing you so long, but I've not gotten a reply. Again, everybody, why do the only people that email me to asklisaann at gmail.com not listen to my podcast. It's kind of the whole point. Kind of the whole point. But okay. Hope this time you revert back to me 
Do let me know your diet, your gym schedule, and other things so I can also make my body fit. I'm going to give you two questions back to back, and I'm going to answer them all at one time because Ryan wants to know, what's your fitness regimen like? I'm impressed. So we're going to ignore the fact that Sandy is a little bit creepy. We're going to go with with, uh, Ryan, who just put it right out there. So most importantly, you know, the most important thing that we can all start with when we're looking to start a fitness routine, because I know what happens is people get very intimidated by where do I start? And I see people asking questions, which makes me realize they're looking for an answer that's going to motivate them to do it. So start small, the very simple goal, even if it is just to walk 20 minutes a day for the first five days a week for the first month. And if you can up that to 30 minutes, to 45 minutes. You don't need to get right into a gym, although lifting weights is what will burn the most fat, change your body the fastest, not cardio. But what I'm trying to do is establish a routine. So when I talk to people about working out and I say, start with a walk, the main reason I'm doing it is to create the habit of that time and space in your life that you're using for exercise. Because see the mind up here, right? See the wheels going. I'm going to eventually in six months, have you transition that 20, 30 to 45 minutes into some weights. And whether you want to go to the gym or whether you want to just buy weights and have them at home does not matter, but it's about first just making the time to making fitness a priority. Think small. Think about just getting out for a walk, taking a walk on a treadmill, however you want to go about it, but movement for 20 minutes a day, five days a week. Then you up it to 30, then you up it to 45. My goal is to work out five days a week because I love it. I love how I feel. I love the results that I get. I love the mental space that it provides for me. I love how quickly I can recover from being sick. I love how it makes me crave healthier foods. I love how it makes me tired by the end of the day. For me, there's just so many little things. But in reality, when I can... I work out seven days a week because I like it. So it might not be as aggressive of a workout. Like maybe I'll swim laps one day uh, or maybe like today was a Saturday and I just did core. So I just went into the private, we have these nice little private yoga rooms, which are so great when you get one on your own. And I just did core. I didn't lift any weights today, but I just took an hour where I really stretched. I did very basic core exercises and all of those core exercises that I do I learned from going to core Instagram pages and I was like, okay, so I'll take down my phone and I'll try these different things. And, you know, there's so many great free options out there to learn where to start. So for me, it's just a part of my life. And I factor in that time as a priority because that's going to make me healthier longer. It's going to make me live longer, less aches, more restful night's sleep, more burning of the food that I'm eating and more just taking care of me. So my goal is five days a week, but I normally work out seven if I'm available to do so. I'm always moving. No matter what, I'm going to walk every day. Luckily now filling orders for the life back, I get in multiple walks to the post office every day. And these multiple walks are in freezing cold temperatures. And I visualize that I'm in cryotherapy and that's how I deal with being that cold. Um, but when I'm, you know, in my office for like four or five hours, filling orders or doing meetings or whatever I'm doing, it does feel really good to just bounce out and take a 20 minute walk and then come back and get back to it. So I'm able to break those in my day, which is great. But for those of you who want to start with exercise, give yourself 20 minutes a day for the first month, 
and figure out how you want to use it. Whether it's just walking outside, whatever it may be, whatever's convenient for you. I know not everybody has access to a gym, what have you, but you can always walk outside. Even if it's cold out, just bundle up. Cold weather is good for you. It's going to reduce the inflammation in your body. It's going to make you get out there and walk faster because you are cold. Once you hit that 20 minutes, and now it's almost becoming a habit. Remember, it takes three weeks to establish a habit. Then you go to 30 minutes and 45 minutes. Then you might get a little bit bored with walking and say, I want to up the ante here and maybe take a class, a boxing class, a spin class, whatever. Maybe you want to go to the gym. But just start with small increments, work them into your life, make it a habit, and then use your time wisely. Next question right here. Last two questions of the mailbag. Again, if you want to be a part of the podcast, just email my mailbag at asklisaann at gmail.com. Robert wants to know what skill I would like to master. So the skills I would like to master are both based on communication. Um, I would love to learn more languages. Many people have heard me talk about this before. I'm starting to listen to more language apps. I'm starting to try to really carve out time every day to do that. I'd love to speak more net languages and I'd really love to learn to speak Russian. Uh, that would probably be, I mean, I definitely want to learn Italian and Spanish, but I do have a large, you know, my family, my chosen family is Russian and I would love to be able to communicate with them in their first language, even though they work so hard to communicate with me in English, they speak great English. It's ideal because I have people to use that language with and that'll only help me get better. So languages. And then the other thing is uh, sign language, Robert. I would love to be able to be fluent in sign language. What I have been doing for the past couple of years is just watching YouTube videos and getting different things down, but I need to get repetitive with it again and make it a five night a week, 20 minutes a night. I was doing it right before bed. I would just watch these YouTube videos uh, 20 minutes before bed and get it. And I really would love to be able to communicate and whether it's a language or whether it's sign language, Robert, skills I like to master. Thanks for the good question. And this one is a lovely email from my friend Elena. And I wanted to read it to you as a reminder that sometimes I do get some pretty darn awesome emails. Hello, Lisa. I hope you're doing well. First of all, I want to officially congratulate you on the second book as well as on the brave decision you made to write about all of this. I was sure that I would love the new book as much as I love its prequel. The journey after 2015 was a challenge, challenging one, but it's a great reminder that strong people always last. Your descriptions are so real, and there were chapters that really moved me. You shared your innermost truth, which I find, once again, brave. It takes a strong person to open up like that. Those times shaped you into the person you are now, and you should be proud that you've overcome them. And you haven't, and you've let them refine you. This book was a great read, an honest restart on many levels, and I loved it. I'll be waiting for more. Stay positive and take care, Elena. Elena, thank you so much for that email. The feedback has been incredible, and it was your email that made me decide I really want to host a YouTube Live to talk about the book. So this is my first book, The Life. And the life is really about the life, what it was like for me to start out as a dancer and to get in the adult industry and to travel the world. There's stories about playing Sarah Palin in here. It was really that journey and it ended when I retired from the industry. So this is a much bigger book because at that time, 
people were reading bigger books, but I took a class and I understand that if people close a book four times, they're 90% chance they'll never finish it. If they close it twice, it's a 50% chance. So I tried to make a cover to cover read here if you're a fast reader, but it should only take you one or two sessions. So that was this book right here. On the back, I threw a bunch of classic photos down on the ground and shot a picture and put in all of the hashtags to make it look like an IG post. And this book really tells a greater story. That book's going to help you learn about the life. This book is going to help you learn about me. Understand me, some of the obstacles that I faced in my life, and the greatest transition that I took through this journey. And that journey was from 2015 to 2019. And I went through some devastating things and I faced some really hard realities. And in this book, I shared them. In the first book, I didn't. I shared things that affected me in my childhood that I hadn't opened up and talked about. And I just shared who I really am in this book. And opening up this way was really difficult. I finished writing it during the pandemic, which already was lonely enough. And then, and then writing about dark things was tough, but it was also very cathartic. And now getting responses like the one I got from Elena um, just really moved me because I was scared to share that next level of my truth, but I wanted to. And I feel better since I have. I hope you all enjoy the journey that I've been on. I'm proud for all of you that are a part of it. My listeners, my podcast, my new ears in here right now, joining me for the first time, get your copy of my book and my new site is being revamped. And I forgot you can just now go shop and that will take you into my bookstore. So lots of new things in the mix. I want to thank Chris Hansen for his time. This was a great conversation. I actually got to meet him in person. Uh, about six months ago, over the summer, um, through a mutual friend, we get to sit down, had a cocktail, and share stories. And that was when I was like, "Oh my gosh, I have to, I have to find a way to have him on the Lisa Ann experience." So I did. Give him a follow at Chris Hansen. Thank you all so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review as it helps so much. And every Friday. We watch this together. It's a great time to engage in the chat, kind of develop the stories a bit more. Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern time on my YouTube channel, The Real Lisa Ann. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Lisa Ann Experience. 